Hi, my name is Pete Redden, and welcome to The Way I Taught It, Next Level Aviation Knowledge in Microbursts. This episode is brought to you by Vapor Global Aviation, creating tomorrow's pilots today. Look them up on Facebook and LinkedIn, Vapor Global Aviation. In our last episode, the groundhog was right, and here in West Tennessee, we are preparing for eight days of wet, icy, snow winter weather. Now, we are in the midst of a winter apocalypse. Therefore, I present episode 10, Risk Management. Once again, I'll be free associating today's episode, not reading from script, but an outline. Bear with me. As always, I am not producing this podcast for any other reason than to encourage people to dive into the FAA source document references and see for themselves how the Airman Certification Standards and those source documents work together to successfully pass a practical exam. So here's our scenario for today. You're a commercial pilot. You're brand new. Your boss comes to you and says, hey, there's a bag of 50s in Nashville that I need you to go pick up. So the boss man, he wants you to pick up his money. He wants you to pick up his revenue. He wants to be able to pay you and turn a profit. Problem is, you look outside, it's 201. So 200 overcast, one mile visibility. And uh, the airplane that you're supposed to take is new to you. You've never flown it before. What are you going to do? And of course, the boss man, he's browbeating you from the office. So you're kind of stuck in a, a position there because he says, well, you're an instrument-rated commercial pilot and the weather's legal for you to go fly, so go fly. But you know that it may or may not be safe, but how do you go through the process to prove that it's not safe and what options can you generate to make it safe? So there's our scenario, and we'll come back to that. In the United States Air Force, when I was there, I was taught about OODA loop. OODA loop is used both in the military as well as the corporate world. So OODA stands for O-O-D-A, which is Observe, Orient, Decide, Act. So the OODA loop is basically risk management. You need to observe what's going on. You need to orientate yourself to what is going on. Or another word for that would be situational awareness. You have to decide what you're going to do once you have observed observed and oriented yourself to whatever's going on, and then you need to carry out that decision by acting. So the OODA loop is a circular process, and it's supposed to always be going on. It's, it's constant. It, it's supposed to be not something necessarily at the front of your mind, but it's supposed to be going into your subconscious mind. It's something that's trained to be second nature to most people in the military. So this is where risk management comes in, because that's really what you're doing. You're building your situational awareness so that you know how to act in the future based on what is out in front of you. So again, risk management is the same. It's circular. It's not a linear process. So many times we get caught up in these these easy-to-remember checklists. We start at the top, we end at the bottom, and then we're done. And we forget that once we get to the bottom, we need to go back up to the top and restart the risk management process over and over and over and over again. So let's start out with this comment, safety first. We all understand that. We all believe that. It's plastered all over our workspaces for anyone who works in a, in a dynamic environment that could become dangerous. And I really understand the phrase, and I'm not taking anything away from it. And safety is very important. But how do we get to safe? How do we operate an aircraft in a safe manner? Some purport that safety is third, not first. 
How do they manage that? Let's talk safety for a quick moment because that's what risk management is all about. It's figuring out, am I in the safe column or am I in the unsafe column? I believe you can boil safety down to two very basic requirements that are every individual's personal responsibility, especially if they're a pilot. Knowledge and skill. Hence, for those that put safety third, because they want knowledge and skill, their own personal knowledge and skill, to keep them safe. So it's kind of a little bit of a formula there. So knowledge plus skill equals safety. Doesn't mean safety is any less important. It's just how do we get there? Actually, knowledge and skill lead to what we already discussed, which is situational awareness. Knowing where you are, where you are going, and what is most likely to happen next. So now is safety fourth? I don't know. I'm getting confused here, but we'll see what happens, right? Safety is very important. We have to understand how do we get there. So situational awareness is knowing where you are, where you are going, what is most likely to happen next when you get there. And that all comes from knowledge and skill. And how do you know you lost situational awareness? When you get it back, when you realized, wait a minute, I've lost my situational awareness and now you're playing catch up. So if you lose situational awareness, you sometimes you don't know it because you're kind of living an alternate reality. And it's your knowledge and skill that's going to bring you back, bring your situational back to the current moment. So we'll, we'll talk about that as well. The application of correct knowledge and skill allows the human brain to free up brain bites. That's what I call it. It frees up mental processing in the dynamic environment that we operate within. If you're so dragged down by procedure and technique and thinking about knowledge and thinking about how you're going to operate the aircraft, thinking about your skill, the gray matter between your ears, that processor, the brain, is going slower than normal, right? You want it to be, you want to speed it up. So knowledge and skill must be second nature. So when you're thinking about, if you're a flight instructor, thinking about soloing out a student or signing a student off for a practical exam, or if you're already a pilot and you're trying to determine, you know, am I ready to go fly with my wife and kids or family or friends or significant others, you have to ask yourself, am I processing at a high enough level that my skills and my knowledge are coming second nature to me to free up the brain bites, to have enough situational awareness to know what's going on in that dynamic environment. It's all about freeing up the brain to process. That's what risk management is about. That's what having knowledge and skill second nature is about. It all leads to safety. Now, everyone's knowledge and skills are different. So everyone's perception of safety will be different. An aerobatic pilot's view of a basic spin is much different than the one-hour student pilot. Neither are wrong. Their risk assessment is based on their personal responsibility of the skill and knowledge that they've acquired so far. So we have to remember as the seasoned pilots that we look at safety different. We look at risk management different. We may accept more risk, but that's not necessarily unsafe because of our knowledge and skill and our proficiency. And when we look at that younger pilot, that less experienced pilot, that less studied pilot, it's not that they're wrong. It's not that they're bad. It's not for any other reason that they are looking at 
what they bring to the table, their personal responsibility versus our personal responsibility and the differences within that. And we should never allow the elder statesperson of aviation push the newer person into something that they are not comfortable with or ready for. It's very important to balance all that. So where does that leave us, right? We have this thing in general aviation called single resource management. Basically, or single pilot resource management. And basically, it's the same thing as crew resource management with one exception. Crew resource management means there's two pilots in the cockpit, maybe three, right? Maybe it has to do with the cabin crew members if you're an airline pilot or a cargo pilot. If you're in the Air Force, it may have to do with whoever you're carrying on your aircraft for that day, whether it's soldiers or Marines, what the mission is, and making sure that everybody on the crew on board that airplane is on the same page. But as a single pilot, we have to remember, we have to ask these questions. As a single pilot operating a general aviation aircraft, who is on your team? Who's flying the aircraft? How they're flying the aircraft, right? So as a single pilot, you may be the only person on the airplane that is a pilot, but who's on your team? You got air traffic control. You got the manufacturer with the POH and checklists. You got your flight instructor who has invested in you, time, resource, energy, knowledge, skill. Maybe you have your instructor within radio range, so you can have them on the radio. You do have people on the airplane, although they may not be pilots, but they're on your team, right? They want to see a successful outcome just like you do. What do they bring to the table? So you have to identify all this stuff, know how to leverage it in times of need. So the next thing is who's flying the aircraft? Well, of course, the pilot command is flying the aircraft. The only person on the airplane is flying the aircraft, which is the pilot. Well, that's true, but some airplanes have autopilots. And so who's flying the aircraft when the automation is engaged? Well, that's still the pilot in command. Or maybe you need your hands free so that person that's sitting in the front seat, you can just say, hey, you know, here's how the rudder works. Here's how the, the yoke works. Here's how the ailerons work, elevators work. You know, can you just keep us going straight uh, towards that lake while I, you know, dig something out of my bag? Or maybe you task that to them and they dig it out of your bag while you continue to fly. So, you know, ask yourself, who's, at, who's flying the airplane? And if it's automation or if it's somebody who's never flown an airplane before, it's still the pilot in command. So who's on your team and who's flying the aircraft? So let's talk about the difference between a hazard and a risk. Okay. A hazard are obstacles that are going to get in your way. It could be weather. It could be something that poses a threat or a danger to safe operation. There's that word again, safe. could be fatigue, improper fuel planning, unapproved parts on your airplane, overlooked damage, like maybe a nicked prop that maybe you think is acceptable that's not. You didn't get a maintenance professional's opinion. A hazard is anything. Right now, the hazard is snow, ice, and bitter cold weather. It's a hazard, okay? It's something that can affect your health or your life. Okay. When I was in the Air Force, you know, hazardous attitudes come into come into play there. Um, flying into contested airspace, flying into uh, a, a combat zone, all of that stuff is a hazard. And now the trick is is turn a hazard into a risk. And the, 
the difference between a hazard and a risk is a hazard, or sorry, a risk is a hazard that has been mitigated. It's been put through the proverbial OODA loop, okay? So when we look at risk, it's a measurement of the known threat the hazard imposes on safe operation. So let's go back to our scenario. The boss man wants you to go get the bag of 50s from Nashville. It's 201 and you have an airplane that you've never flown before. So the hazards are the weather, the airplane that you've never flown before, and potentially your own skill. To turn those into risks, we put them through the OODA loop and we go, hey, the weather, although it's legal, probably not the best time to go fly, so I'm not going to fly. But even if I could fly, that airplane is now a risk because I've assessed this fact that I have zero time in that and I know that I cannot go just jump in that airplane and fly it um, by myself. And now you've assessed those as risks, but now how do we mitigate that risk? Well, instead of flying out into the weather at 201, I can wait for the weather to clear, get better, or I could drive. I've just mitigated that risk. I can still get the mission done. It's just going to take me longer and I still get the bag of 50s for the boss man and I keep my job. The airplane. Well, maybe if the weather lifts, I'm still not familiar with the airplane. Maybe I can find somebody on the airport that is familiar with that airplane and take them with me. I still go and get the job done, and I, but I've mitigated the risk. So where does all this risk management come from? Well, bottom line, there's an advisory circular out there, and it's advisory circular 60-22 aeronautical decision-making process. And bottom line, General Aviation's OODA loop is basically the three P's of the risk management cycle, okay? The three P's are basically perceive, process, and perform. And if you think back to the OODA loop, observe, orient, decide, act. Pretty much the same thing, perceive, process, perform. And this is the core of everything else in general aviation risk management. So to help perceive and identify risks, we think of the PAVE checklist. And PAVE stands for PIC, aircraft, environment, and external pressures. So in our scenario, you've kind of seen that we've gone through that process. But let's talk about external pressures real quick. An external pressure is any pressure outside of your aviation decision-making process that may influence how you make an aviation decision. And that's very, very, very dangerous. So that boss browbeating you from his office, wondering when you're going to take off, he is providing an external pressure because that has him wanting that bag of 50s has nothing to do with aviation. It's an external pressure. It's a business pressure. It's not an aviation pressure. So think about the external pressures when you start flying with family, loved ones, up against weather, up against time, up against business. Think about aviation decisions only and don't bring anything else into that. So you perceive risk using the PAVE checklist, PIC or the pilot, aircraft, environmental issues, and external pressures. Now, in general aviation, we kind of tend to stop there, but there's two more checklists. That's just how do you perceive risk? Now we got a process. So one of the great things about being a human being is we are able to control the time between stimulus and reaction. So if somebody slaps you in the face, although everything in your body says, I want to slap you right back, you, we, can, we have the ability to stop, 
think, why did that person slap, slap me in the face? Maybe even ask a question before we react. And maybe we find out, hey, there was a, a mosquito on your, fa- on your face that was about to bite you or you know, a, a bee that was about to sting you and I swatted it off your face. So we have that ability to control the time between stimulus and action. And that's what we're doing here when we process a hazard, okay? Before we take any action, we got to make sure we go through a logical process to determine what is going on. So to process, we use the care checklist. Consequences, alternatives, the reality, and again, external pressures. So we have to go through and say, what are the consequences of each of the different actions I can take in this situation? What are the alternatives to those actions? In reality, what do I really need to do? Okay, I'm not going to take off. Maybe I have to do a 180 degree turn and go back to where I came from and land and and cancel the flight for the day. And then you have to accept that cost-benefit analysis. Oh, sorry, you you have to accept the reality of that. And then you have to re-engage external pressures. Because remember, if if your aviation brain is telling you turn around and land, but your business brain is telling you, I got to go get that bag of 50s, and you listen to that business brain, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Now that we've processed and we've determined a course of action, now we have to perform that course of action. And we use the team checklist to do that. We can transfer, transfer or basically seek counsel or approval on our course of action. Well, it's tough to do if you're the only pilot in the airplane and you can't necessarily call your flight instructor, but maybe we can talk to air traffic control and say, hey, will it be, can I do this instead of what I'm currently doing? Will that be acceptable to air traffic control? So you're seeking approval, you're seeking counsel. Hey, where's the weather? I want to turn to the left. Hey, ATC, is there weather there? Maybe flight service station, maybe a weather briefer that you can reach on the radio, right? We want to eliminate anything that is harmful to us. So continuing into that thunderstorm, continuing into that bad weather, um, continuing on to destination with a questionable engine because of something, one of the indicators of the, the engine indicators is giving you doubt about whether the engine is healthy or not. So we want to make sure that we eliminate anything that is non-beneficial to us so that we can narrow down to the answers that are beneficial that we can perform. Then we have to now accept the cost benefit analysis Okay, so, hey, I'm not going to Nashville today. I'm not going to get that bag of 50s, but I'm going to land this airplane on the ground safely. Everybody's going to walk away safely, and we'll just have to do it another time or rent a car and drive the rest of the way. And then the, the M in team is mitigate. And when I see that word mitigate, it means go back up to the top to the first P, perceive, and start the process all over again. Because now that we've reorientated our mission, now that we've reorientated our flight, and we've decided to make a change, now we need to mitigate that plan of action, that path. So you can see how risk management works here. We have lots of checklists we can use to determine if you're safe, right? The I'm safe checklist, illness, medication, stress, alcohol, fatigue, eating, external pressures. There's external pressures again. It's a killer, okay? Uh, what is the side checklist? You know, we have, there are people out there who use the side checklist, which is basically the three P's, which is basically OODA loop. Detect hazard, estimate if reaction is required, choose an outcome, identify the steps to make that outcome come reality, do the steps, and then reevaluate, meaning start back up at the top again. Are there any new hazards out in front of me? So with risk management, you can see that this is a core competency of being a pilot. 
And whether you're a student pilot or a retired Air Force pilot with over 6,000 hours of flight time and all sorts of environments, we have to use risk management. We have to build our knowledge and our skill so that we can have situational awareness, basically freeing up brain bites, you know, freeing up our brain processes so that we can actually assess and mitigate risk real time as the aircraft is moving through the dynamic environment. And if you're not at a point in your flying career that you can do that at the level that you're currently at, well then get in touch with your flight instructor, get in touch with some friends that are pilots and start working on that. Remember, the level's gonna be different. For a student pilot to safely solo an airplane, we're talking about you know the traffic pattern and kind of the local area within the airport, maybe the five or 10 miles within the airport. If we're talking about an airline pilot, now we're talking about the entire globe, right? So make sure that as you look at your risk management, it's proper for the environment that you're working within. Again, I'm Pete Redden, and that's another episode of The Way I Taught It. Thank you for finding this podcast worthy of inclusion into your study of aviation. Until next time, fly safe, fly smart. That's The Way I Taught It. Episode references, Pilot's Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge, Chapter 2, AC 60-22, Aeronautical Decision Making, Airman's Information Manual, Chapter 7, and Personal Experience.